Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations, not knowing the next step. We all have so much creativity to offer, but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval. EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one coachings to creative collectives, they have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called opera lives. Anyway, what were you saying? So, okay. So Elise is reading this, has read this book and just shared with me The Future of Classical Music Part 1 by David Taylor. And it's these tiny little short essays. And she just had me read the essay, In the Age of the Celebrity CEO, Why Are Orchestra Bosses Invisible? And he's basically just making the point of how, you know, in the modern era, we connect with people more than we connect with organizations. And so, like, we know Elon Musk and we know Jeff Bezos. I mean, they're all evil. Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely. You know, like, good CEOs. Good CEOs. (laughs) You know, Jessica Alba got mentioned and, like, how, like, they have way more social media followers than even like their individual companies have, right? And so people connect, they're like become thought leaders in their industries and even outside of their industries. But we kind of don't have that phenomenon happening in the classical music space. He's specifically talking about the orchestral space, David Taylor. You know, and he's absolutely right. Like I know who the conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra is, but I don't know who the CEO is. The conductor does do it. Yeah, he has definitely a presence. Right. However, like one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading his little article was he was talking about how, you know, these leaders, they're very vocal about their thoughts and their feelings and about the future of the like they they just show up and talk about their things. And I was like, you know, I don't really think I know what like Yannick's thoughts are about the future of the orchestra and classical music in general. I know him as a conductor and I know him for that work, but I still don't know him personally, even though I follow him on Instagram. Like, I don't feel like I have this, there's still kind of like a a removal, right? Mm. And so um, really what came to mind to me, I've been thinking a lot about fear and the ways that that shows up 
kind of just, you know, in our lives, but even particularly in classical music spaces and how um, opera in particular still just, it feels to me like the industry is just ruled by fear still, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think part of the reason why we don't know who the CEOs of orchestras are and we don't have, you know, viral opera singers really, um, there are some, but like people don't show up as their full selves, right? Because we're afraid that we won't get hired by an, an opera company if we say the wrong thing or they'll misconstrue what we say, or maybe the head of the company, like, I don't know. I feel like still in opera, we have this wait and see approach to most most things, right? We're not proactive. We like to wring our hands about the the audiences are dwindling and ticket sales and whatnot. Um, you know, and certainly I'm speaking at it from an artist perspective, so I don't know what's going on behind the scenes at companies. But I think that's part of the problem, right? Like there is this barrier between still between artists and administrators, and we don't cross over and like share openly like what's happening. This is, you know, and as long as there's this fear that divides us, even inside of our own industry, like we're not going to move forward. Um, and this was a topic that came up in the Opera America Racial Justice Forum that I attended, um, you know, was about like if if as opera companies and individuals in opera were actually committed to creating equitable, accessible, diverse spaces, we have to be visible in that work because, you know, communities that have been hurt and traumatized by our field and by society at large, like if they don't see us showing up and doing the work, they're not going to trust us. Like you have to build a culture of trust and that means being visible. And we're, for one of the loudest art forms in the world, we're not really good at being visible a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, there's a huge, um, I think like one of the pervasive problems that shows up in marketing and disconnect and exactly what you're saying is that like that like visibility is not there the transparency is not there and there's this fear around um around showing the process i think like this art form is so elaborate and so intense and so um like logistically crazy and there's so many crazy things like just putting an opera on or doing an even organizing an orchestral like season is a lot of work and that work is is working primarily through connections with donors mm-hmm. um and that work is intense i think for the people that are doing it there's so much that we don't see um behind the scenes of coordinating of meeting with these donors, of having these donor parties. There are things we don't even know about that occur just in order for a concert to occur. I mean, I just went to a concert or something, or I should say, like, I've been to, you know, recently concerts, but I've started looking now in the program and looking at, like, how is this concert paid for? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's paid for by one person or Mm -hmm. family or foundation. Mm -hmm. And... They don't really say like who that person is or why they're donating. Like from some experience of being behind the scenes, I know some concerts are 
chosen because of the donor says, I will donate this money because I want to hear this concert. Right. That's not always the case, but I know that to be the case for some of the time. And then um, and then all the behind the scenes work of logistics. People don't right now, like there's no one in that space. And reading the the future of classical music was like almost comical in a way because there's like on the marketing end of of classical music, there's no one like thinking about how to bring people into that process. They right. are continuing to just showcase the product. And if you look and listen to any marketing, people tell you they are not buying the product. They are buying the problem that it's fixing. Right. And they are not buying it for the price. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's free or a hundred million dollars, they are buying it to make their lives better. Right. And that's what opera does not do right now in their right in their communication of why people should go to the concert. Right. Well, and too, like, <clears throat> I think, you know, there's another side to that, too, is like people also buy things because of the way it's going to make them feel. Right. Right. Because, you know, I buy things when I, when I don't have a problem, but because it's going to yes. like make me feel a certain way. True. Right? Um, just because I know Tara will probably be listening to this and she's she's an advocate for like, we need to move beyond pain point marketing. <laughs> so I immediately thought of her when you said that. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and, and the feelings is totally um, another reason. Like, right. Right. Fully. Right. You know, and so but if but again, these are all about the mm. personal. They're all about the personal. Yeah. And. um, Where was my brain going? (laughs) Hold, please. Processing, processing. (laughs) I have the little buffering wheel in my mind's eye. Um, You know, the, I think the worst enemy of our art form right now is perfection. Yeah. Yep. Exactly what I was sort of getting at. And again, it's, but that's grounded. There's a fear. fear. It's fear at the, at the root of that. Yes. And, um, you know, if people, we need to get donors, right? The reality of the situation in the United States is that the government does not fund the arts the way it gets funded in Europe. So we need to have access to donors in order to fund the work that we're doing. People aren't going to invest in what they don't have a stake in. Like they want right. to believe in the thing that they're putting their money behind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even in some of the workshops I've been in about fundraising as I'm building my own company, you know, like kind of the um, most of the narrative there in that space is often, you know, well, you're you have to come to these people like same thing, like you're a you're a solution to the problem that they have, which is that they have too much money and they need to get rid of it for a tax write off or whatever. But like, I think it goes way, way beyond that. It's like yeah. donors, donors will invest more in a thing that they're like, this is an alignment with my values. This is in alignment with how I feel about right. the world and the future of this art form. And if we're not showing up as artists, as administrators, you know, like saying to the world, this is who I am and this is how I feel about this art form, um, you know, both the negative and the positive you know it's a both and situation like um they're not gonna know yeah they're not gonna know we're i'll show my catholic card we're putting our light under a bushel basket <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if we if we think about um larger companies like amazon and facebook 
I don't know, like, I don't claim to know a lot about these companies or their I'm just speaking from what I know about them and like what consumer. I hear yeah. as a consumer. And as much as you hear all the like bad stuff and I'm not going to comment right now in this. The argument is not <laughs> about Lex, whether on Lex Luthor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on whether or not I agree or disagree. But like the point is that I also hear because Amazon is putting that out there. I also hear about all the things that they are trying to do, right? You know, to make a a to make a positive mark on society and right. on the people that they right. are serving, and they do that on purpose. And like, I just think there's a really missed opportunity, basically, um, in opera to give us some of that information of what's going on behind the scenes, right? And right. be visible, visibility. The other, the funny thing that we're talking about this today, last, this Monday, actually, this past Monday, I did, I'm I'm in the middle of this like singer's retreat and it's about, um, I'm leading this, facilitating it with another artist and um, it's about like taking four weeks for yourself to dig into what you want and like tools that can help you uncover like some goals that have a real um, purpose and like a vision that you like really stand behind and stuff. Right. So this week we talked about fear and blocks like mm. rejection and jealousy and perfectionism was one of them. Mm-hmm. And from having worked with many young artists um, that are like in music school right now in a collegiate music program, whether that be a conservatory or a university I've worked with people in all different areas and different countries, and they they have um, across the board a really hard time sharing um, sharing their work from just themselves and sharing what they are doing just as themselves. Right? Like they they they're you know oftentimes. In my experience, majority of the people of the young artists I've worked with are are scared to um, share something that they're not like. I just just say period because, right. and I think like whether or not they, you know, are proud of the work they put out in in school is another almost another topic. Like I'm not saying they're not proud of their work, but right. at a university they. Um, they can just be like, well, this is for my school and someone told me to do this and like, right. I'm learning, you right. know, and I'm not going to share that. Like, oh, I'm not going to. Like we're yeah. only supposed to share the big gigs. Yeah, the big gigs or like, if it's good, like later on we might share it. I'm one of the people in the program is having a, con- doing their recital next um, week and we were like, are you um, live streaming it? Like we want to watch it. And she was like, I don't know. We were like, you should live stream it. Like, yeah. And she's like, well, I'll definitely record it. And I don't know. That was like the extent of the conversation. So in by no means am I speaking like for her. Yeah, yeah for her. But I just wonder, like, are you going to like judge yourself later and see if it's good and then, and then share decide it? To share and it. that's not art. 
that's not art. Right. Right. Like art (laughs) is. That's not the point. Art is kind of like you have to do it scared. You have to do it scared. You You have have to to open up your heart and like see what happens. And like if you're proud of it, that's that's what matters, you know? Right. Right. I mean, you can be vulnerable and open your heart and then still at the end, like not be proud of it. But like you still have to do it scared because like and just do it because it's the only way you're going to get better. Right. Hopefully you're proud of it. But maybe you don't think it was like, I mean, but, you know, like we're our own worst critics. And so, you know, in the moment, I definitely have, you know, I know I feel like most of us have been here. We're like in the immediate aftermath of a thing. We're like, oh, yeah, of course. And then like you listen to it a year later and you're like, that was fucking awesome why was i being so hard on myself yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but that's all i think to this idea of like we've gotten really caught up in in um in perfectionism in sounding good and always trying to go after the whole thing and as singers like you're in your voice lesson and that's what you're working on and you know you know that there's never going to be a perfect perfect you're not perfect so it's never going to be perfect nope but yet we are, even though we like, that's just like, oh, a little thing in our yeah, brain, but I'm, like, we're still. <laughs> I'm always like trying to ask myself, like, how can I, how can I move from like chasing after perfection and instead reframe my mindset to be always looking to be able to express myself as freely and as fully as I am in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Like that, those have been questions that for me have helped me to kind of get out of the perfectionist mode, right? You know, because it's just like, and and I think really what what that all comes down to is this other side of the fear equation that I've been, you know, thinking about a lot in the last two weeks, um, you know, because like fear puts us in this reactionary kind of position, where we're not being proactive, mm-hmm. right? And if we're really, truly invested as ambassadors of this art form, no matter what facet of the business you're talking about, like we need to be proactive mm-hmm. um, to move it forward, right? The best, all of those CEOs that got mentioned in in David's little essay, like none of them waited around for people's permission. They'd like went and did the thing, mm-hmm. right? However you may feel about them, like they kind of were just like, I'm going to make the move that feels the most authentic to me, right? Um, You know, and so then like for me, it's like, well, we have this fear that's kind of like bubbling under the surface of everything it feels like. Um, You know, how do we, how do we overcome it? Or how do we live with integrity alongside of it, mm. right? Because like I don't that's know, better, that's a good. Question. I don't know that we can make that fear go away. Of course, right? Not, yeah. But it's like, how do we, how do we hold, hold those two things in tension and move forward with our lives? And so, I feel like the question that for me feels the most grounding is to get really, like, what is my why? What is my why? And to be really specific about my why and like and what is my why in every space I occupy right because we can have like ideas about our life in terms of our ethics and our values and those are kind of like umbrella things and then there's our whys in the individual spaces we live in and I think like being really intentional about that is what's gonna at least for me it has helped me to combat 
a lot of the fear that often keeps me paralyzed, mm-hmm. you know, is like, I'm really <clears throat> conflict averse. I'm really nervous about, well, what are people going to think, you know, and it's like, okay, well, before I put this thing out into the world, why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. And is my why still in alignment with my values that I hold to be important? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like, and your why is going to change. So like, that's an ongoing conversation you have to have with yourself. Right. But I think it's a thing that our organizations need to be having, you know, the CEOs of our organizations need to be having with themselves, with their companies. Like, what do our companies stand for? Mm-hmm. What do we as artists stand for? Are we communicating what we stand for to our artists? Yeah. So that they can decide whether they're all in with us or not. And we can help each other. Like, again, like we were in the racial justice forum, this conversation kind of kept coming back to building trust. Mm-hmm. You know, people can't, people won't decide to, you know, row the boat with you if they don't trust you as the captain. Mm -hmm. And they won't know that you're the captain if you're not visible. Yeah. Okay. So many thoughts on that. Firstly, I think it's really important. Well, I completely agree with you talking about the why and what's your why. And what I think is really important to say is that. Finding out what your why is, is not easy. No. (laughs) It is not easy. And I've been hearing that for a long time. And, you know, we are on a journey. Every piece of information that we get is valuable and points us in a new direction or on the same path or whatever. But I've been hearing that a long time. And it wasn't until like more recently that I really um, dug into it in a way that like stuck I guess Mm. and that made sense and and I'm still I think like working on that and like you said it changes and I just like I want to say that it's very hard and you may think you know your why like I thought I knew my why and and but it it wasn't enough like I really needed to dig in I really needed to like just be challenged Mm -hmm. by it and be like thinking about it a lot and be dissecting it and be questioning it and be looking at the actions I take um, around it and be looking at the actions I take when I'm not thinking and how that informs what I do and what I'm inclined to do. And there's just a lot to it. And it's so easy for people to say like, find your why. Like, and it's like, yeah, why? Like, and if you don't, you know, (sighs) Well, because there can be fear around even asking yourself that question, right? I know I kind of put off doing that work for a long mm. time because I think there was a part of me that was afraid to find out that if I dug in, that I maybe didn't really actually want this career, mm. right? Because there's that possibility, Yeah, you know? For me, it was like, I thought I kind of knew it. Like, I thought I kind of knew myself and I care about people and I care about connection and like, yeah, and I love music. and. And it was like kind of vague, you know, and um, I think all those things were true. It's just like I didn't really like challenge it and look at all those other things I just said. And and I didn't like it wasn't really specific and it wasn't really hitting me in a way that drove me towards, um, you know, higher goals, I guess, and new goals right. and and like guides you on the path. Right. I think like if you're not specific, you can be be in a world where you're like wandering around trying to attach yourself 
to the right why. Like, oh, I want to be on the show, so I'm going to audition for like a million shows. Right. And that's not really like, it's not a, like a really driving, motivating why, I right. guess. So that right. was for me what, what was going on. Right. Well, because I think too, like you can ask yourself that question and, you know, I know that mine for a long time was like, well, I like, I'm good at singing. That's my why. Because it's right. what I'm good at, you know, <laughs> and and like I needed to go deeper than that. Like, yeah, you know, um, but like that was the why I was able to find for a little while. And that was like all I could find for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes you can't find it. It's funny because I'm just like glad that we're saying that and talking about it a little bit because it's like seems like such an easy thing. Like, just find your why. Like, just like, like right, how hard can it be? Right, like, because it's this part it's of this just... process of like self knowing <laughs> that we all have to do, and that we're gonna be doing our entire lives. Yeah. And the other thing I was gonna say about the why and the trust, and to come back now to classical organizations, music organizations, um, is that like we, um, I think there's a lot of it's been around for a while, right? These organizations and this art form has been around for so long. And so like, I think newer organizations really do have to like find a why and like find the connection, like the audience and like have to be really specific in order to be successful. But like, we're kind of like able to coast a little bit and have this sort of like um, long history that stands behind the art form. And and does help it and does hurt it also, but mm -hmm. it, it helps it exist, mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't know what the, if there was any talk about this, but I find that like a lot of arts organizations list like these values that sound like good and they also all sound the same <laughs> and like, right. and there may be really good intentions, but there's a real disconnect to the people that they are either trying to reach or currently serving or whatever and right right so i went to the philadelphia orchestra concert last month maybe it was like a little while ago it was um they did william dawson's negro folk symphony mm. and so cool so great such beautiful music and intense like mm -hmm. and everyone in the audience is loving it all positives you know but you still so they're trying to like put this on the show but like what did I, I didn't really see a lot of like diversity in the audience as per usual. Like it was also kind of funny because um Yannick spoke before the concert and um and like said some stuff about, said some stuff about like issues. Like like he didn't come out and say like racist or like exclusion or like sort of what it is. He was just kind of like and for whatever reason, we don't we didn't perform this before. I'm like, not for whatever reason, mm -hmm. not for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Like, we all know the reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it's kind of like that. I think that that, <clears throat> um, speaking from just an assumption from my personal opinion, like, is that really building trust? Like, what are we really doing here? You can't like, name if you can't name the truth of your own history, and if you can't. If I can't even like, but I don't see any like diversity here. Like, where are the people that have this connection to this this Doesn't piece? Mean, yeah, um, which was like had these like influences, like 
of um, Negro spirituals. And, you know, it, it just so that trust is just you, I think like it needs to be more connected to real people. Right. Well, and again, it like goes back to this um, kind of overarching, you know, like you can you can write your write your mission statement and say what your values are. But then are there policies to back them up? Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that also came up during the racial justice forum was like, your policies, are they rooted in your history? Right. This policy, like we have a policy of diversity, equity, inclusion. And this is specifically what it looks like because in the past we have excluded people. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is, we're going to be specific about naming why this needs to be in place. Um, and that builds trust, right? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like if I was a black person sitting in that orchestra concert and Yanni couldn't even say like, yeah, we didn't program this music in the past because we have a history of excluding composers of color from our from our repertoire. And we're working to change that. And this is part of that progress forward. Right. That doesn't seem like a hard thing to say. I know. I would be like, all right, he's telling the truth. Cool. Right. Visibility, vulnerability. Right. Honesty and like just not being vague about about it. Not that vagueness, that opera, like, right. To come back to exactly where we started. Well, because here's the thing, like all of the isms, racism, classism, ageism, you know, um, you know, fat phobia, all of these things that exist in classical music spaces in particular, like they exist because we don't name them, mm. because we don't shine light on them. And those isms are exist because of fear, mm -hmm. because of fear who, of people who are different from you. Um, right. And so like the shadows can't stick around if you put a light on them. But as long as we continue to be kind of nebulous and vague, they're going to continue to persist. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just the reality of this work. And, and unfortunately, you know, like going still talking about fear and still talking about visibility, part of what's hard about being visible is because we um, because we're afraid of, well, what if I say it the wrong way? Mm -hmm. Of course. Even if my intention's good. I have that fear. Right. Of course. Right. I'm not going to be received the way that I mean, yeah. the way that I mean. And the unfortunate thing is like, you can never control that. Right. Which is why coming back to like, I, you know, even though it's a process and it's a difficult process, getting to your why is so important. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you can't control how people perceive you. What you can control is what you do and you can control your self-knowing of I'm acting from a place of integrity. I'm working in with love and generosity to bring more people to this art form, to make this art form actually for everyone. Right. Yeah. And like people are going to misunderstand me because being truthful is going to make people uncomfortable. And People misunderstand people all the time. I mean, it's a fear we have in a lot of spaces, but in this space, it feels particularly scary. Right. Right. Totally. Right. 
Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. Set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes. A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a Stage Time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, StageTime allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent, and center your creative practice. StageTime is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search StageTime to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students, and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on StageTime. So... This is something I've been thinking about recently. I wonder what you think about this. Like, I hope I can say it clearly. Um, <laughs> um, so we, we, um, I think about it. Um, we're talking about, um, we're talking about like your why and what you say versus what you do and what stands in the way and the disconnect and stuff like that. And and I think I'm, I'm always trying to like learn and grow and up level or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. You know, um, become self actualized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think it's part of like being an artist and being a singer. I think that's Im- important to do because your work you know, you want your work to evolve with you and mm-hmm. you can't just do the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do the same thing all the I time. I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so so you make these, you know, sort of statements and you – it's also like has to do with like changing habit and changing your mind and your perspective and like sometimes I can be a little hard on myself or I can really th- – be hard on others and like just in general like you know what you say and what you do don't always match up and what does that mean about yourself and like what is that I think just the questioning of it is good but we also like okay like this is like so simple I want to work out <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to lose weight that's my narrative in my head right now and I think that I, it's not a strong enough why because I'm not doing shit about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like there's that's part. I, this is like just a very basic t- example, I think, of like how your why is not easy to find. Like I have not been able to find my why that's motivated me enough to like be on this like path mm-hmm. to this goal that I say I have because I don't. I think there's like not I don't really have that goal, but like it's some kind of I don't know what it is. I can't yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting because I don't know, I guess I just wonder what your thoughts are on that and like ch- you know, just like changing your mind, like literally changing your mind, like to to actually be able to be the person you say you want to be. Right, right. I mean it's it's hard and i think just like speaking from my own personal experience as someone who has done a lot of changing in the last 10 years even when you find your why it's still hard mhm it will still be hard to motivate yourself 
Mm. Like it finding your why isn't some magical thing that like suddenly nothing be- is hard anymore or nothing is scary anymore. <laughs> I just want to be clear. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I use this example from my my life pretty frequently in the education work that I do. Um, you know, because people are not static; people are fluid. You know, we we evolve, we grow, you know, fundam- like on a cellular level, I am not the same person I was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, but like I have a Facebook status that shows up in my memories, my Facebook memories mm-hmm. um, from like 12 years ago or so now every year. And um, it's always a reminder to me. Um, that people are capable of change, mm. right? Because um, my Facebook status from 10 years ago or 11 years ago, whatever, um, you know, I grew up kind of in an environment where I was not particularly well educated about my heritage or proud of my heritage as a as a Hispanic person. And, um, you know, grew up with na- hearing narratives about, you know, like, anti-immigration narratives, essentially, anti-Mexican narratives. And as the Spanish-speaking population in my area started getting bigger, like businesses were trying to be accommodating for the, to those people. And so like signs in the stores were starting to be bilingual. And I, being a dumb, prejudiced 20-year-old, uh, you know, like posted a Facebook status about like, about it, like complaining about it, being mm-hmm. like, if you're basically like, if you're coming here, you should speak the language. And also like, how much money are these businesses spending, you know, like doing this work? It's, you know, if they really cared about the environment, they wouldn't put, print things two times yeah, in different yeah. languages. Like, you know, it was just like, so that's, that was the way that I looked at the world yeah. in my early twenties. And that's not something I'm proud of. But what I am proud of is, like, how far I've come. But I also know that I didn't get here by myself, mm-hmm. right? I had people in my life who were gracious and loving enough to, like, ask me questions. Yeah. To, like, just gently challenge those, the ways that I was thinking and help me to slowly, you know, like change over time and open my eyes to different realities than the one that I was raised in and um, come to know myself better in the process and my history and my ancestry better in the process, um, to accept my queerness in the process, um, you know, and so like Grace is such a huge Ugh. part of this. Yes. Right. I love that you said that. Grace is such a huge part of this. Like being gracious with yourself, being gracious with others. Like part of my why as an educator that I try to root everything I do in my in the education space in is that people can't change what they don't know. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. And so like it's very important to me to walk into any space without an assumption mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. are going to be where I am. Mm. 
right? Because I don't know their I don't know their history. I don't know where they're from. I mm-hmm. don't know what education they've had or not had. And so like it's my job to find out where they are, to meet them where they are and hopefully ask them the right questions to help, you know, kind of open their worldview if it if it needs some help. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think Again, I think it's fear that makes us make assumptions about where people are at. Yeah. Or get angry when they're not where we are. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, like you're capable of change. Mm-hmm. And this is why like I feel like social fear around social media can be so rife, right? Because yeah. we do see like people get canceled. Yeah. Um, which personally, I don't ever feel like actually accomplishes anything. Yeah. You know, like, yes, there should I don't be, either. I think there should be consequences for actions, et cetera. Um, particularly if someone like continues to persist in something that they've been told, like, yo, like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like there needs to be justice and harm is, you know, but the reality is like, we have to accept that like, if whether we're visible online or not, we always have the potentiality to harm someone. Mm-hmm. And are we going to be gracious enough with ourselves and with others to, we can only hold ourselves accountable. Right. Right. And no one can do that for us. So can we love ourselves enough to like let ourselves mess up? Yeah. And admit when we fail. Right. And say we're sorry if it affects someone else. Um, and like saying you're sorry is fucking hard, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah, totally. Because it's vulnerable. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Grace is so important and, and fear holds us back and, but we all ultimately like, like we innately care about people and, and we want to connect innately. We do, you know? So, right. Well, I mean, and, you know, like, again, showing my Catholic card, like, personally, I believe in the resurrection story, right? And I believe that that, like, that every human is capable of that. Mm. I've seen it play out in my own life, mm. in myself, right? Like, I've come a long way from from where the the environment that I was raised in. And, like, I believe that's possible for other people, too. Mm. You know, and so like that's and I think that that's a beautiful process to watch happen. I was just going to say that's beautiful. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's it's not unlike the process you go through in the rehearsal room. Right. Like the piece that you the piece that you started learning when you were taking the notes off the page and fitting it into your voice is not the piece you ultimately end up performing for people like it. It matures and changes and you know, like, re- and it and it responds to the things happening around yes. it. And like, that's part of the magic of live theater. And so like, our lives are the same way. Yeah. It's just like, that's just like a microcosm of the human experience jam-packed into six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to opera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And art. That was great. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. You're welcome. I just... Yeah, I don't know. This has been a big question on my mind, so it was good to 
Yeah. Good to read that article. So yeah, again, this book was The Future of Classical Music Part One, Essays by David Taylor. This um, was, yeah, he, he wrote this book at the beginning. He tells, he didn't really write the book, like, I'm going to write this book. It's a collection of essays that he wrote, like a lot of them during the pandemic um, that he collected into a book. And he calls it part one because he, I I think, I'm, I, I gather it to be that this is just conversate, like a point of conversation. Um, these are topics that he thinks it would be helpful to have, read this and talk about it just like we did now. and. Um, and just to get, just to get our ideas going and our mind going and, and start to create change, the future of classical music. I think that's the hashtag that he uses too. On, yeah. Online. Well, I, I just love them because the, all of the essays kind of start with a question and on some level there are questions that seem like, yeah, why haven't we asked that question before? Like they seem so obvious, but I think also speaks to kind of like, you know, kind of still the per pervading, um, mindset in the classical music spaces is just like we don't like we we don't question the assumptions we make about the ways that classical music has to show up in the world yeah. often mm -hmm. um totally that's not true across the board there are people asking the yes. hard questions i um, know yes but it's just like yeah okay so like i'm coming to this work with a certain amount of assumptions about like how it's going to be done it's like well what does it mean if we question those assumptions and what are those assumptions even right yes you know so can't wait to put this out. And, and and we are like, and like you just kind of hit on, this is by no means like a full picture of what is going on behind the scenes. It's just what we've seen in the spaces we are a part of and with our, you know, our perceptions and our history and the work that we do. And right. there's a lot of cool people. That's why we have people on the podcast to interview, to find these cool, innovative people and see what they're doing and be excited about the art form too because right. it has so much potential that you and I both love and believe in yeah and why we're still here yeah making yeah. this podcast and singing these <laughs> arias <laughs> as we wrap up season four which is just wild yes um you know and I think even just like thinking about the first season of the podcast and like where we were as artists I think is vastly different yes you know there are some things that have stayed the same, but then other things that have matured and evolved and um, like, that's awesome. And I still like feel really proud of our first season. I would never think to like, you know, I'm sure there would be people who'd be like, oh, you should probably take X and X episode down because of da 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 da. And it's like, no, right. like, like I want, I want, I want the world to see that like, let's show them that people can change and mature and evolve. Like there's, there's a different way than hiding behind a door all the time. Totally. You know? Um, and everyone's way looks different. Like none of this is prescriptive because everyone's situation is different. Totally. So, so but. thanks everybody that's listening. Thanks for coming along for with us for season for four. four seasons. We're very excited and grateful and proud and like so many emotions. And, um, <laughs> yeah, just thanks for listening. We will be taking a little hiatus and we will surely update you when we yeah. have some rest. Yes. Yes. And like, we have so much hope. Yeah. We do have so much hope for our art form. I think, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about the things that are hard. Mm -hmm. 
and the things that are difficult. But like we question and yucky. <laughs> and we question and we talk about those things because we're hopeful for change. Yeah. Because we can see we can see a different future. Totally. Because we know where we've been. Yep. When I exactly like you just to say this, like you said something about like talking about shedding light on it or I forget exactly what you said earlier, but that was like the whole reason I wanted to start this podcast because I like just noticed people would like tense up when we started talking about some, you know, like things about our life that that not perfectionist part that and I didn't realize and I didn't intend for people to get closed up. I was just trying to learn from people mm-hmm. around me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to talk about all the fucking shit that nobody talks about and everybody else is doing, you know? And so it's cool to be to be doing that. Yeah. And I hope that it, I hope that this helps other people. Yeah, I feel not quite so alone. We're all trying to figure it out together. <laughs> <laughs> well, till next time. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more, because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee. Fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount. Or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk. We are thrilled to have the Sparkle Twins as continuing sponsors for Season 4. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York, who began their business by creating customized Swarovski crystal-covered shoes for their fellow divas. Their business expanded pre-COVID to include mouth masks for musicians. In addition to protecting yourself from unwanted germs and conversations, the masks have cute phrases on them like, keeping my germs to myself, or I am on vocal rest. To check out their full line of products, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop and follow them on socials at the Sparkle Twins.